Hey guys, it's Rach. Welcome to another episode of the show. And today we're talking about narcissism and narcissistic disorder. This was a term that I really saw become very popular on TikTok. I saw it a lot during COVID and in a lot of different videos. And I think there's just a lot more information about what this is like and what it's like to suffer with it yourself, what it's like to have a partner or a parent or a boss who has narcissistic tendencies. I wanted to take a deeper dive because I knew it was something y'all were interested in. And in my studies and my learning, I discovered this book that I thought was so incredible. And its author, Debbie Mirza, is my guest today. We are talking about passive-aggressive covert narcissism, maybe a type of disorder you haven't heard about before, but I think you're going to find it really interesting. The one note I will give you before we jump into this episode is we started geeking out so much and talking so fast that there is a point where she's making a list of the signs of a narcissist. And we got so excited about the conversation that I don't think she says more than two of them. I'm going to sneak in at that point and just read out the other signs and symptoms so you guys will know what they are. So if you were listening to this and you were like, why did they not finish the list? It was just because we got too excited chatting and we forgot to come back to it. But I got you. Don't worry about it. I really hope that you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I do. I think this is going to be a really popular episode. I think y'all are going to have a lot of follow-up questions for Debbie. And I really encourage you to call the hotline and let us know what you think. We'll do a follow-up episode and take a deeper dive. But this is our introductory conversation about narcissistic disorder. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. When it comes to this idea of narcissism, I was telling you before we started, I started to see this word pop up a ton for kind of the first time ever. Like I had known that word and I think I knew it in terms of people would say like, oh, that person's acting narcissistic. But I never really knew it as a true personality disorder that can be really detrimental to other people. So could you, for for those who are listening who are like me and maybe don't truly understand what narcissism is, could you walk us through how that person might behave? Yeah, definitely. And it gets, it, it is misused a lot. And people who have truly been through narcissistic personality disorder abuse, when someone throws around the word, you know, she's really narcissistic, he's really narcissistic, it can make, it can diminish the actual trauma and pain that you actually do go through Mm -hmm. when it's legit NPD. So yeah, narcissism is thrown around. I, I think mostly with the 
connotation, they're just really selfish. They're just all into themselves. They're really self-focused. Narcissistic personality disorder has traits in the DSM. So there's nine traits in the DSM, which is like the go-to the Bible for therapists or there's different clusters like personality disorders. And this is under the cluster B. I think I'm right about that. Yeah. (laughs) I I feel like, yeah, I feel like I remember that too. Yeah. Where it's narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial, which used to be sociopath and then um, psychopath, like all those kind of things, not personality, not situations where you need medication. Got you it. know, personality disorders. And so narcissistic personality disorder, there's nine traits and you have to meet at least five to be diagnosed as having narcissistic personality disorder. And they're rarely labeled or they're, they're hard to, they, they won't go to therapy right? Right. <laughs> unless they're covert. That's another That's story. a whole other thing. Right. That's a whole nother thing. But if it's like a, a standard overt narcissist, they're not going to go to therapy because they don't see anything as their problem. It's always other people's problems. Right. So you have, and if you want, I actually have the nine. In I front would of love me. that. I would love for us to unpack those. Okay, cool. Perfect. So I'll read the nine. And then in order to be classified as NPD, you have to have at least five. So one is a grandiose sense of self. What would that look like? So let's unpack each of those grandiose sense of self. You really think a lot of yourself. Yeah. So grandiose sense of self, when we think of, and again, and we'll get into like covert, the, 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 the standard, when people think of someone who's narcissistic they are usually flashy, you know, and out there. And when people are talk, other people are rolling their eyes. It's like, <laughs> this guy's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> or this girl's ridiculous, you know, and they're clearly all about themselves. So grandiose sense of self is not like a healthy self image. It's like, a, I am better than you. I am what matters no matter what. I don't care who I have to run over to get to the top. I am what matters. Mm -hmm. So that's like grandiose sense of self. If this is like a covert, which do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, that way we can sort of go back and forth, but let's establish this. So there is like what we've commonly come to know as this is narcissistic personality disorder. But then your book, which I found so fascinating, was the idea that there are people who are narcissistic, but they cover it up. Because they know they would be judged if anyone understood that this was their true state. So they sort of hide it. And uh, what would be the difference there? Like they wouldn't have a grandiose sense of self. They're, I would say, craftier and in some ways more intelligent than the overt narcissist. They are more, they know how to work people. Their, Their biggest thing is their reputation. So they want to be looked at. They won't be the, the overt that's up on the stage talking about how great they are. Sometimes they'll even be shy. Sometimes they'll be therapists themselves. Sometimes they'll be coaching pastors, rabbis, spiritual gurus. They're in positions often that you wouldn't think this would be a narcissistic person that's leading this yoga retreat, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And so they're usually well-liked, they're usually quite smooth. They're sometimes they're quiet. Sometimes they're not. 
but they're, they're not, people don't roll their eyes. People follow them. Mm, You know, they're usually likable. Yeah. Um, so they have a grandiose sense of self, but it'll, it'll, it's in a way where you don't notice it. Like take the yoga leader at a retreat, you know, they won't stand up and talk about how great they are, but they will put themselves ahead of everybody else. They will situate themselves and talk to you in ways that is demeaning, that puts you below them, but often in, in maybe spiritual spiritual terms in this situation. So you don't even notice that's actually what they're doing. Right. And when it comes to covert narcissists, as I was reading this book, and this is why I want to have this conversation, because I thought, oh, this is such an interesting way to look at narcissism, because you start off the book talking about how hard this is to diagnose unless you have lived through it. And then you're reading it thinking like, oh, that, right? You were like in the book, you talk about this idea that most of the time, the partner or the child of someone who has this, or um, maybe your boss is this way, that you have been trying to figure out like, what is this person's deal? And maybe you even looked up narcissistic personality traits, but none of them quite fit because you were like, wait, no, that's not. So the interesting thing about this is the covert nature of it means that as the person who has dealt with it, you feel like you're crazy. Completely. There's so much gaslighting. It's so confusing because like, for instance, someone can be raised by a covert narcissistic mom and have absolutely no idea until often they don't realize till their thirties, for some reason, that seems to be a, a common time to, to realize it. Yeah. I, I interviewed over a hundred people for the book because I wanted to be really accurate and get all types of relationships. So this one woman I spoke to, she was best friends with her mom, you know, for a year, she thought her mom hung the moon. Like she thought she was amazing. Everyone else thought she was amazing. You know, like head of the PTA, you know, all this stuff always like brought snacks for all the kids and had these grandiose Christmases and birthdays, but she didn't notice everything was about the mom and that, you know, kind of like, as long as you toe the line with these kind of parents, you know, you're kind of, okay. You don't really notice abusive behavior until you, in fact, covert narcissistic parents can actually be seem like really good parents when the kids are young because that's at the stage where kids are like, you know, mommy, daddy, like so excited to see you when you come home or adoring. They see you. Yeah. They're so adoring. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. But as soon as the kids start having their own opinions and they have their own tastes and they don't actually want to watch that movie with you, or they don't really want to do this, go to that park with you. Then things change with the no covert narcissist because the people they're around are their supply. It's it's a very bizarre thing about covert narcissists that there's a lot of nuances that you wouldn't think about, but one is they're quite like empty people. There's something about them that when you really take an honest look at them, they're, they're boring. (laughs) Like there's not a lot to them. Yeah. There's not a lot of depth. There's not I remember sitting in a room where I was with a covert narcissist at the time 
and it was someone's birthday and we were all sitting in a circle and I was looking around. This is when I was like starting to notice things I hadn't before. And I looked around at each person in the circle and I thought, yep, that's Jim. Yep. That's Steve. Yep. That's Mary. Like, you you know, you can look at people and, and get a sense of who they are. They're this whole person, you know, who this is. And then I got to the covert narcissist. I was like, wow, there, I, I can't like, who are you? Right. Yeah. My dad you know? used to always say there's no there there about some people. Yeah. Like when you really took the artifice away, there was nothing substantive there. There was nothing underneath right. it. But if you're really good at doing the tap dance and like performing and being charming, which often in this in this covert narcissist place, they are really good at that, then it's very hard to ever see underneath it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well explained. So there's kind of a, holly, a hollowness, an emptiness, a blankness about them. So they... Because, and I don't know, you know, the deep reasons behind it to me, it just feels like their soul, their spirit is just so buried, Mm -hmm. you know? And so to get life, they need to extract it vampire like from other people. Yeah. It's like an energy vampire. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so other people are their supply. That's why back to the, the yoga leader at the retreat the, the people who come to the retreat are their supplies. So they get all this adoration and that's like their fuel. So back to being a parent who's a covert narcissist, they, they start out, you know, really active often with their kids and really involved, but as they get older, things change. And then they start to punish their kids in, you know, the silent treatment and all the different ways that narcissists do that make you crazy. And then it makes you wonder if it's their fault. And then they put every, you know, things, the responsibility on the kid, you know, for instance, like maybe they'll reject their son or daughter for like ridiculous reasons. And then they're the, also the perpetual victim. So maybe they won't speak to them for years, but then when they talk to other people, they're like, yeah, I mean, you know, she knows my number. She knows my <laughs> yeah. Number. Yeah. I, I, just wait, you know, just no responsibility and also really emotionally immature. Is that is that a trait that is both in narcissists and covert narcissists, this idea of not taking responsibility for their actions or blaming everything on other people? Definitely. And just to be clear, it with for people listening, like narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder, it's the exact same traits for an overt narcissist. And the exact same traits for covert narcissists. Got it. It just manifests differently. Got it. Mm-hmm. So let's unpack this idea. What does it look like when someone doesn't take responsibility? Like, what are some of the conversations that you would be having with a narcissist if? they weren't taking responsibility. And I just, for all of these, I just love to give examples because it's highly likely that there are people, especially with covert narcissists who could be listening, who are like, holy crap, that's right. what's going on with my boss. And I never like that hasn't clicked in. And if they have that empowered right. information it can really help them. They will often turn things around on you when it's actually their issue. Right. So let's say, uh, 
let's say you're, you know, with your partner or spouse and you're, you're suspicious that they're having an affair. You know, you've seen things that clearly, you know, you have that intuitive feeling, you see things that line up, you know, so you bring it up to them and you're honest, you honestly want to know, and you're scared and you're hurting instead of them wanting to reassure you, which is what love would look like, (laughs) you know, someone who truly loves you would go, Oh my gosh, that's the last thing I would ever want you to think. I would never do that. I love you so much. You know, they don't do that. Instead, they turn it around and go, what the heck? You know, like either they'll say, you're so sensitive. Oh my gosh. You need to like, just man up, woman right. up or whatever, you know, like, uh, no, of course I'm not doing that. Why would you think that? I can't believe like the stuff you put on me. I'm already stressed enough at work and, blah, 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 and now you're putting this on me. And so the, they right. deflect making you the bad you, guy, right. Making you the bad guy. So then you question, you're like, Oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? I mean, I don't know for sure. And they are under a lot of stress and I can't believe I brought that up and I should have waited till, you know, And so that's a tactic they'll have to put it back on you in a way that you're left spinning, right? You know, your mind goes through all the, and you end up feeling like, oh my gosh, that how horrible of me. And then they can kind of use stuff like that in the future to deny you of compassion, to deny you of kindness, to deny you of intimacy, you know, cause you did this right Remember when you did this. Yeah. Yes. You're bringing up something that happened five years ago, like mm-hmm. over and over and over again. This is just like that time that you accused me of blah, blah, blah. And they've right. never actually just said, no, that isn't the case. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Is that gaslighting in that moment? Like, can you explain to us what gaslighting is? Because I thought that was really helpful in reading the book. I was like, oh, Lord, like I remember this as a child. I think this happens to kids all the time that like adults in their life tell them that's not really what that's not what you're feeling. That's not really what happened. Yeah. So will you explain that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Gaslighting is a is a very, a very covert way usually 
of making you think you're crazy, making you think something's wrong with you. I remember speaking to a woman who worked at this company and her boss was a covert narcissist and it affected her so bad how he would turn things around on her. He was actually like really calculated where he wouldn't tell her about meetings or he would tell her the wrong time. And then she'd get there, you know, at what she thought was the right time, but it wasn't. And she'd be late and and he'd be like, yeah, I'm just noticing, you know, things that just kind of a little more spaciness about you or kind of forgetfulness. So this went on for years where she actually made an appointment with a neurologist to see if something was wrong with her brain because she was convinced she was having memory disorders. Wow. And it was from this, I mean, he may have been a psychopath, but it's it's the same thing, you know, but a spectrum, you know, in nar- with narcissistic personality disorders and all these, there's a spectrum. So you can have some who are like I have people in my life who have narcissistic personality um, traits but they're kind of lower on the spectrum. And then, so I kind of, I spend time with them, but I limit my time and I just stay away from certain topics, <laughs> you know? And then there's some people high on the spectrum where it's like run away. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. So gaslighting, then this idea of trying to make you feel crazy I feel like it's important to say with gaslighting that they don't even have to be consciously aware that they are gaslighting you to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They're all they, I'm assuming all they know is that they are right. They're, they're going to be right. And so they are trying to convince you that you are wrong because in order for them to be right, you have to be wrong about what you're saying. And it's funny, ever since I read your book, because I'm constantly just like reading, looking obviously for people to come and chat on the show. But ever since I read your book, I notice gaslighting all the time. I see it out in the world. And I see it especially a lot with parents. Like I'm so grateful this has nothing to do with narcissism, but I'm so grateful that I got this explanation. I just watched this happen with a little girl. Um, a few weeks ago, I had to go get blood drawn. And there was a little girl who was like five and she was getting blood drawn before me and she was losing her mind because she's five. She's terrified. Like I'm 39. I don't want to have my blood taken. This little girl's freaking out. And she's screaming so loud that I could hear her screaming in the room. And I kept hearing her parents and the nurse say to her, she was like, it hurts. It hurts. And they kept saying, it doesn't hurt. You're fine. It doesn't hurt. And I was like, this is not a 15 year old. This little girl was maybe five and maybe it hurts. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's fear that makes her feel. But I was like, whoa, this happens at such a young age to us, which I really think sets us up to be groomed in the future by someone who knows how to do that. And they just tell you over and over, like, that's not what you're feeling. That's not what you're thinking. So that you come, you don't even know which way's up. Completely. Yeah. And then depending on the paradigm that you grew up with, you know, like, let's say it was a, a religious situation, you, you know, you get the messages that your desires are bad, you know, your feelings are bad or, or spiritual, any kind of thing. It's like, you know, if you're complaining, it's bad. And or you also, just, I mean, I was raised 100% in a church that said that the man always knew better. 
He was the head of the household. He knew what was best. Or your parents always knew better. I feel like there's so many things, so many structures that exist, especially for women. Not that only men are narcissists, because certainly women are too. But there are so many things that exist for girls who later become women that are structured to make us not trust ourselves or our own intuition or what we believe. And it's very easy for those types of young women to be taken advantage of by this personality type. A hundred percent. And something that we, we don't do across the board for both boys and girls is teach, teach them how to be in touch, to notice their body. Mm, you know, that's good. Yeah, because that's your body will always know, even if you don't know, you exactly. know, in your brain. Yeah, that's exactly. so good. Like people will ask me, like, you know, how do you safeguard yourself from covert narcissists? Because they're so tricky because there's nothing often, especially if they're high on the spectrum, they're not people who yell at you. They won't hit you. They won't do anything that seems obvious in a court of law that you could say this was abuse. Right. You know, and that's, that's what makes it so painful and so confusing. Cause you're like, what is wrong with me? Nothing right. in this picture looks bad. Now that's on a high covert spectrum. Right. And I, I really want to touch on that because that was something that struck me when I was reading it was that with these personality types from the outside looking in, because wow. they care very much about reputation, you wouldn't know right? Even if you're inside, you may not know. Mm -hmm. So I just think that there's something so important about listeners understanding, not everyone's going to get this, but I guarantee there are people who are like having crazy, holy crap, like this is what's happening. Because it doesn't feel like even describing it, it may not feel like, well, how is this abuse? Like, how is what this person's doing abusive to you? Mm -hmm. So how have you found with your clients that this abuse manifested in negative ways in their life? And that's why it's so tricky because you can be in a relationship, you can be in a marriage, you can be in a long-term partnership. And in fact, oftentimes with covert, these are really long relationships. I just spoke to a woman who was in a marriage for over 43 years. Wow. And had no idea. Actually, in fairness, she said around like in after like 20 years, she started kind of seeing stuff. But then it's, you know, at that point, it's like you have kids. It's just tricky, you know, like what yeah. do you do? And a lot of people are like, well, I can tolerate it. It's not awful. But it, it slowly dims your light. It drains you of your energy and you be- end up becoming someone who you don't recognize. You know, and oftentimes people will start out as, as, very social extroverted people. And then they end up becoming more shut-ins and hermits and not wanting to leave their house because it's just too much. Because Um, they've been drained emotionally, energetically. Like why does that end up happening? Exactly. It's kind of like, this is sounds dramatic, but death by a thousand cuts or a million cuts. It's not, it's not that they hit you or they yell at you and tell you awful things. Although that can be there too. You can have someone who's both covert and overt, but if they're like highly covert, it's, it's all those little comments, little looks, little reactions over time that hypnotize you basically and brainwash you into seeing yourself a certain way. 
And, and oftentimes we get into these because we had some form of it in our childhood. You know, maybe it wasn't full blown, but maybe we had a parent who put their issues onto us and, and we learned the dance, dance that of, of taking their issues and making it ours and taking responsibility for other people. Maybe we learned the dance of we're here to make our parents feel better my life needs to be around about other people. And so we take these things. And then when we meet someone, when we're dating, we don't even notice, but we feel this kind of comfortable familiarity to. Which isn't that from, oh, it's comfortably familiar because it reminds us of our family of origin. There's something exactly. about it that we understand. And I can't remember because when I read your book, then I went on a tear. I can't remember if it was in yours or someone else's that I also learned about how narcissists will use mirroring as a way to, I don't know, ingratiate themselves with you. This idea that you, maybe even the first time you met someone, you were just like, oh, they were okay. And then a month later, you were like, oh my gosh, this is my dream woman. This is my dream man. And yeah. we're so aligned. We have everything in common. And it's actually because they're mirroring. They know how to yeah. sort of say, yes. oh my gosh, I love that movie too. I love books too. I do these things exactly. too. Can you talk us through that? Definitely. And that's, so that's a really good point because there's three phases with a narcissist that you go through. And the first phase is love bombing. Which is and also what, what cults do, by the way. No, exactly. And yeah. I, meant, I don't know if you remember that part in my book, I saw a documentary, uh, Holy Hell was the name of the documentary about people who were in a cult for over 20 years. Wow. And I remember I was so struck. What I was struck by is the exit interviews. When these people were being interviewed, they were saying stuff that I was like, oh my gosh, like this is all, every single thing they said is how I felt and what I experienced, but I wasn't in a cult. I was in a relationship with a cult. Right, right. So it is, it, it is like coming out of a cult because you've been so brainwashed and gaslit and you continue to be even after you left the relationship or left the job or left your parents or, you know, whatever, that it really is like you have to, part of healing is going through this deprogramming, you know, phase because you've got those tapes in your head and especially the longer you're with someone like that. And, and that's why it's, it's so damaging. That's why it's so much more than just selfish people. So phase one is love bombing. What's phase two? Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. And what I was going to say is phase one is so powerful because the person and, and this, this is more, you know, not like parents, but this is more like when you're dating someone um, or even like a friend or a boss or something like that. So it's so important because that's when you in your mind determine who this person is. And at the very beginning, they do a lot of mirroring, like, like you said. And so they will basically be everything you have been dreaming of. <laughs> and love bombing looks different ways because some people will be like, well, you know, he or she didn't shower me with, you know, presents and dates and flowers and that stuff. But I said to that woman, I said, because that, that covert narcissist could tell that would turn you off. So he became the person that he knew very, very perceptive. That's what, that's why I say like kind of the intelligent side of narcissism, 
they can easily pick up what you want. And they can often seem very scripted, like the way if you really like look back and observe people and you aren't enmeshed emotionally into it. So in the love bombing phase, they are this perfect person for you. And so whatever happens after that stage, you see them through those eyes. Right. When they promise to show up for, for an appointment, you know, with you and they don't show up and they have an excuse you excuse them because you still see them as that person at the beginning. And you're like, Oh, okay. And their excuses always make sense. (laughs) So you're like, okay, well that makes sense. And then it happens again. You know, you're supposed to meet for dinner. They don't show up or they show up half hour late, you know, and it's disrespectful to you, but you don't see it that way. Cause you also, you so want that person that you originally experienced And you said, I think you said in the book, sorry, I got really excited, Mm -hmm. that if you are a people pleaser, that you are everything I'm thinking of for this doesn't sound very nice, but like you're prime for narcissistic abuse because everything about your people pleasing tendencies, that was something that was given to you in childhood. Now you've navigated it into your adult life. And Uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say that your bait, they can see, they can pick up really easily who Uh they can manipulate and who wouldn't take it. Exactly. And that's, yeah, there's a chapter um, in my book called traits of traits of a target. Target. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is a certain type of person that narcissists often get with, you know, and they tend to be very giving, very trusting people pleasing, maybe not healthy boundaries. So yeah, someone who is trusting wouldn't expect someone would blatantly lie to them and someone who's caring. And then also, well, also because a narcissist needs someone, not needs, but wants someone who will make them the center of their world and they will sacrifice whatever for them. So actually often in the love bombing phase, sometimes they'll test you, you know, there's stuff they'll, this is kind of can be a common thing too, where they'll kind of test how far will this person go for me? How much will they sacrifice for me? Then they know they've got you for years. And especially if you're someone who has been raised to serve and to help and to nurture, and then often the covert type will use their emotions to manipulate you. Like there was a girl who I spoke to who, whose brother had died and they were really close. So the anniversary, the first anniversary of his death was coming up. So that's a really big deal for her. And suddenly her boyfriend became depressed for no reason on that day. So now she's a caring person. She knows she wants, she's grieving for her brother, but there's this guy that she loves and care about, cares about who is depressed for no reason. So she makes her day about him and taking care of him because when you're a naturally caring person, that's what you do for people you love. You know, these are bad traits. These are beautiful traits, but it's, it's just sad. Like we, I think there's a, there's a sweet um, naivety about these people that's including myself, (laughs) you know, that come from a genuine place of love and wanting connection. And what you learn is, a covert narcissist is actually not interested in connection and harmony. They're interested in being in control and having you as a supply. And if you stop 
giving to them as their supply, that's when the third, and I'll go back to what the second is, the third stage happens, which is the discard. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle, and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own.
Hey guys, it's Rach breaking into this conversation real quick because I could already tell just a few minutes in with Debbie that this was going to be a really popular podcast episode. And I figured that you guys might have other questions. You might want to take a deeper dive or maybe there's specific topics that we haven't covered. And Debbie has a wealth of information, whether it's dealing with narcissism, covert narcissism, how to co-parent with a narcissist. She's coach and written about it all. So if you have questions, I'm thinking maybe we should do a second follow-up episode with her as our guest. Call the hotline, the number 737-400-4626. We can make your question totally anonymous. You don't have to leave your name. But if there's something you'd love her to answer or take a deeper dive on, let us know and we'll turn it into another episode. That's 737 400 Four six two six. I want to touch on this really quickly because I also found this fascinating in the book. The idea that a covert narcissist will find a way to sabotage every big thing that's not about them. So if it's your birthday, if it's a vacation, if it's have trained for your first marathon, it's something that you're trying to do, but it's not about them that they will sabotage it. Can you touch on that? Definitely. And that's one of those nuances you don't notice and you wouldn't think to link that to narcissism. But, you know, like for instance, I was with someone um, for a while and I looked back and I, every birthday I end up crying and I didn't know why there wasn't something obvious, but it was kind of like a there were little things like they would, you know, they gave me a gift and I was grateful and gift giving is weird for them, from them too, because it's not, it's like so out of touch. The gift giving thing shows up. Is it because they don't, they don't want someone else to be celebrated? Why does that happen? Yeah. It's basically comes down to, this is not about me. Yeah. And this needs to be about me. So I will turn it around and I will make you feel bad for not saying thank you enough or not having an expression on your face that was big enough for what they deserve for all they did to go find this lotion from the dead sea that you never asked for and don't, (laughs) you know, but they're just like so amazed with themselves and needs you to know like how they went to the ends of the earth to get you that special lotion in a kiosk at the mall. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, well, and I think it's important to say too, you're in your own experience, you're talking about remembering birthdays where you ended up crying. But I yeah. also love the example you gave of someone who their partner got sick. Sick. You know, I'm using yes. air quotes. But it's like doing wow. things that you, again, it's covert, that you wouldn't understand that they had control of in that moment. And so you're like, oh, they're sick and I need to take care of them even to the detriment of my own self or this family vacation or this big work thing I'm doing. That feels really important to touch on too. Definitely. Yeah. Any, again, anything that is about you, they will sabotage, but they will always look fantastic to other people. I'll use myself as an example. I had just had surgery and it was like day surgery where I'm, I go under anesthesia And then I'm picked up that night and taken home. So the person I was with, the covert narcissist picked me up and took me home. And, you know, you're like all out of it and you're still in pain and you're drugged up. And I remember laying in bed 
And then he said, you know, I really need to talk to you about something that's affecting me. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and oh <my laughs> I can laugh now. Like he was just like telling me that, you know, he went out of his way to pick me up and bring me home. And I just didn't seem that grateful. <laughs> oh my God. Literally like drugged up. I still, yeah, like I couldn't watching TV. All I could watch is the Andy Griffith show because everything else was too fast. You know, it's just weird stuff. And then I would hear him go downstairs, shut, you know, and then talk to family. They're like, oh my gosh, you're so good to her. You're taking such good care. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I care about her so much. I just want her to be okay. And, you know, you're just like, what the heck? But yeah, when you're sick, when you've had surgery, when you have, you know, anything like that, they will make you feel bad for it. And the more covert they are, they won't ever say this to you, but through looks they give you, through giving you the silent treatment, through passive aggressive actions that they do, you get the message that something's wrong with you. You know, you're too needy. I actually remember, huh, it's weird because this one relationship I was in, my sister reminded me the other day that when we were first together, she was confused and concerned, but wasn't sure she should be concerned because everything else looked so good. He was basically telling her that he was training me to be tougher when I'm sick. Yeah. And to learn to take care of myself and not rely on other people. And that I had been pampered too much as a child. And so he was here to help me with that. So that's where it's like stuff where it messes with your head. Cause I could look back on my childhood. It makes me so angry now. Cause my mom was so beautiful, like such a beautiful mom. And he would, he tried to change, change that narrative over the years So I started to look at her as like, oh yeah, she did pamper me a lot. She did help me when I was sick. She really did like stop everything to help me get better. And that made me not tough. And I'm so glad I have him in my life now to teach me how to be tough. So, you know, you start also, I will say another trait of a target is we are self-actualizing we're people that generally want to grow and we don't want to blame other people for our stuff. And so I would look at things as like a teachable moment for me to grow because I assumed and I trusted because I'm a good person because <laughs> I'm not crazy. You know, I assumed and I trusted that this person loved me like I loved them and I would never treat someone like that. So that's where that's what I mean. It's like so many little death by a thousand cuts, yes. you know, yes. over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea, I mean, it's that gaslighting again of warping your perception of something really beautiful, which was your relationship with your mom or the way that you were raised yeah. or making something it's not so that because you are the kind of person that will internalize and kind of think through and try and unpack and try and know yourself better you'll just go spin out in your own mind about like, well, am I, am I this way? Like, oh my gosh, that wasn't my intention, but I could, I guess I could see how it would come across that way. I think you said this more than once in the book that it's when you're, you feel crazy 
You feel like, what? Something's wrong, but I don't know what's wrong. And I can't really put my finger on it. And nobody else sees anything wrong. So there must not be anything wrong. That knowledge, I'm really hopeful that there are people who are listening who are like making that connection for the first time that this is what's happening. Going back to that first phase, you have the love bombing. What Mm -hmm. then would come after that before, before the potential discard? So the second phase is the devaluing, demeaning phase, which that can last for years and decades. And the thing that's tricky about covert narcissists is you have what's called intermittent reinforcement. This is what keeps you in these relationships for a long time. So you have demeaning and devaluing experiences and situations and Christmases and birthdays and times when you're sick and you have all those things, but it's not all awful. So you also have cards that are very loving. You also have times where you're with them and you're laughing and you're watching a movie together and you're enjoying yourself. You have times where they say kind things to you. You're kind of fed this drip (laughs) of what seems like love and kindness mixed with devaluing and demeaning behavior. So that's what also contributes to how confusing it is, you know, cause these are relationships. I mean, and on a lot of these relationships are like, if it's a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, couples that look like the dream couple. And you may even think that too, for a while, you know, you may, especially the love bombing, like affects that so much, like, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky. And then anything you want to complain about later, you feel like you're not allowed to because you're so lucky. You have phase one, you have phase two, which could last for years. Does phase three, the discard always happen? Like, is that inevitable or are there times where that's not the case? Like, what does the wrap up of this relationship look like? I would say the discard does inevitably happen in every case that I've seen. I think that could be different if someone was low on the spectrum. That might be a different case. How often in these situations is there financial disparity between the narcissist and their partner? Like, I'm wondering how often that plays into it of like, they are dependent on this person for finances to help take care of their kids. Like they don't have the option to leave, even if they know something's wrong. Totally. And divorces are brutal with a covert narcissist. They are brutal. The narcissist wants all the power. They want the money. They want the reputation. They want you to look awful and they want to look like the perpetual victim. And they will fight like hell (laughs) to keep every penny and to try and keep you as poor as possible. Right. Yeah. And it, and it really, it's, oh my gosh. And that's like, when you talk about the, the discard phase, that's always, even though there's different factors, the brutality of it is always the same for people leaving. And when I say discard, it doesn't mean they have to discard you. Sometimes they do, but sometimes, and often they will kind of create a situation where you're kind of forced to discard them because they don't want to look like the bad person. (laughs) You know, that's one of the ways they do it, but yeah, money, like financial abuse is a big thing with them. 
To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Rach. Thrivemarket.com slash Rach. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Okay, guys, it's Rachel sneaking back in here with all of the traits so you have all the information. This is from the Mayo Clinic. These are the symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. One, narcissists have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. Two, they have a sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration. Three, they expect to be recognized as superior even without achievements that warrant it. Four, they exaggerate their achievements and talents. Five, they become preoccupied with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or finding the perfect mate. Six, they believe they are superior and can only associate with equally superior people. Next, they monopolize conversations and belittle or look down on people they perceive as inferior. They expect special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations. They take advantage of others to get what they want. They have an inability or an unwillingness to recognize the needs and the feelings of others. They can be envious of others and they believe that many others are envious of them. They behave in an arrogant or haughty manner, coming across as conceited, boastful, and pretentious. Lastly, They insist on having the best of everything. Now, the reason that this conversation became so fascinating was because with a covert narcissist, they want these things, but they get them in a different way. And that's what we'll continue talking about now. 
the idea of financial disparity is important to touch on because we also want to acknowledge that not every person listening to this has the option or the ability to leave a situation that they might find Mm -hmm. themselves in. Like that's a privilege that not every person has, but I think that at least understanding what's going on, hopefully will better arm listeners with what they're dealing with. It's, it's tough too, because you've had years of being your self-esteem going lower and lower and lower. So when you're put in that situation and, you know, they have the money and you don't, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be homeless. You also have such little confidence in yourself to be able to figure this out and support yourself. And you're also so traumatized and often have health issues that keep you from, you know, even being able to have a job. And, and they're so manipulative. I'll share a story of a woman who is going through a divorce and still, this is the thing. You still see them as the person you thought they were. And so the night before mediation that they were supposed to meet, he emailed her and said, you know, I really have to watch out for my health. I really don't like the idea. And this is a woman that had been with him for decades. And, you know, she had like raised the kids. So he could build his business and stuff like that. And so he wrote her and, and he's like, I don't like the idea of supporting you for so long. And she had built nothing for herself because she had just given everything. And he's like, would you please like keep that in mind when we go to mediation tomorrow, you know, really oh, think wow. about me and my health. And so it really affected her because she still saw him as she thought of him as a good person and they had kids together and, you know, couldn't imagine like him doing anything, you know, cruel to her. And then, then she got to mediation. So it really affected her. And it was like, Oh my God, what do I do? Like, I know I need this money and I know my kids will need this money because ultimately, you know, the kids are going to be with you and not them. So she talked to her attorney and the, Oh, she emailed the attorney and the attorney wrote back and she was like, whatever she, she had forwarded the email and she was like, why does she mean whatever? So she got to mediation. She's like, can you tell me, what do you mean? Whatever? Cause this is really plaguing me. And she was like, that email was so manipulative. And this woman couldn't see it. She's like, can you please show me how? Cause I, it doesn't feel manipulative to me. I think actually I tell this story in my book. So she told her, okay, look at the first paragraph. He builds you up, then he puts you down and then he builds you. And then, then there's like a pity statement. There was like some, I forget the exact, like, but there was, there was some um, pattern in every single paragraph. Wow. The exact same pattern. It's like, build you up, put you down, pity statement. Next paragraph build you up, put you down, pity statement. But she had didn't see through that stuff because it had just, you know, become, it was her life for decades. So that's what I mean, where it's just so crafty and, and plays on your emotions and your good heart. It's, it's horrific. It's evil, honestly. It's it's also why it's so important for 
all of us, every person, whether they're dealing with this situation or something else, to arm ourselves with knowledge of how these things happen. That attorney speaking to that woman and saying like, do you see this? Because (laughs) chances are, you know, she didn't. She didn't have that knowledge or that information. Same thing with this. Read this book or a different one, but to just figure out what is going on? Because especially if you believe, you know, people are good and they're hurting, they would never do anything to hurt me. God, I hope so, but that's not a guarantee. And we have to be able to protect ourselves emotionally, energetically, financially, like all of those things so that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we sort of can't get away from. You did say something in the book that I thought was so powerful. I don't know if it was a chapter or just a page, but there was something about like, why are narcissists like this? And you had this great perspective, which was essentially like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not your job to figure out. And if you try and figure it out, you're going to make excuses for them or you're going to make their behavior okay. I was having a reading recently and she said something that I thought was so powerful. She said, you know, when you spend too much time trying to figure out why someone is evil, you get wrapped up further in the evil. So it's better to just accept what is and be able to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about, cause there's so many theories as to why they act the way they do. There's nothing solid that now has come out. That's like, okay, this is, this is the only reason every single one of them does this. And we do make ourselves crazy because it's so confusing. It's like, why would they say this? Why would they treat me like this? And there does come a point where it's like, how, how is this serving me? How is this helping me? When I wrote that book, I really had the reader in my mind constantly. And I have a big heart. Yeah. And it comes through. It really does. You write from such a compassionate uh, place uh, that rang out to me. Uh, You don't often see that in books. And I feel like you really did have such compassion for people who found themselves in this situation. So I want you to know that it really, uh, it really comes through. Thank you. Yeah. So when I was thinking what to say, I'm like, I just, I want the best for the reader. I just wanted to go like, stop, let's put, it's been too long that the focus has been put onto them. It's time to put this focus on you and take care of your heart and figure out why was I okay with this? You know, even if I didn't see it, like what, what was it that, you know, what in my thinking was okay with this? What about me didn't notice my stomach feeling tight and didn't let that override my mind, which is a huge thing that, I mean, we are, all of us are bred (laughs) to make decisions from our mind and look to our mind as the authority and our body, like you said, is so much smarter and knows way before our mind does. And there've been numerous studies and research studies to prove that. What does, I mean, honestly, Debbie, I could talk to you about this for five hours. And I feel like we're going to get a million questions into the hotline and we're going to have to have you come back on and like take a deeper dive with us. But I would just love to paint a picture of what the recovery of this looks like, because I think what's likely is that many people will realize that a relationship that no longer exists, or maybe a relationship that's already rocky, that this could be the root of what's going on. And I think you talk about in the book that ending a relationship with a covert narcissist 
isn't necessarily clean. You don't just get to like turn the light off and then it's done. I think probably more than other types of people, this personality type tries to drag it out for as long as possible. So I would love if you could share kind of what to expect because I think that also helps to arm people with the normalcy of what it might be like. Yeah. The abuse doesn't stop when the relationship is over. Generally, some people, some narcissists will actually hoover you and try and get you back, but others will cut you off as if they never loved you a day in their lives and will continue to abuse you over time. That actually was what prompted me to write the book. So as far as healing, and I do, I highly recommend my second book. I'm actually doing a series. I don't know if I told you that. So it's covert narcissist worthy of love. And then I'm working on the final book right now to kind of bring it all together. Yeah. And then worthy of love is basically a template of how to heal. And I, I, I get very open about my own healing story too, just to help people see, you know, their own journey in mine and know they're not alone. Um, And then just really practical advice and exercises But I think there's like, there's a few components. One, you really need knowledge. You really need to understand what this is, what it looks like, what the traits look like, what the manipulative tactics look like. So that's really important to get, because that's part of the deconditioning of coming out of the cult. I'd say a couple other things. You reach a place where, you know, I reached a place where it was like, why was I okay with this? even though so much of it was covert, there was, there's still some reason I was okay. And and especially as part of my research, (laughs) I read my journals back from the beginning of this long relationship until present day. And I couldn't believe all the stuff that happened at the beginning that I would never tolerate now, you know? And so that became kind of a whole transformative healing process for me that then, well, there's a little known book (laughs) I wrote. It was my first book. It was called the safest place possible that I took a year where I needed to make loving myself, my top priority. I went on this trip. I, you get to such low places. I was so depressed. I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't. And I ran away for a bit from my life. I was able to figure out how to how my kids would be taken care of. And I ran away and I just sobbed, sobbed and sobbed. And I, I saw that my sobbing went deeper than this relationship. It went to a whole life of not trusting my heart and listening to it and honoring it and respecting it. And I had a talk with my heart, my younger self, you know, that day. And, um, I said, it's going to be different from now on. And that became my top priority. And that launched me into a year of every day, just completely changing how I talk to myself, how I treat myself. And I kind of intuitively was led to these different exercises that ended up being so healing. Like for instance, one was I got out old photo albums and I would look at me through different ages and I'd look into my eyes at the picture And I'd be like, oh, I see what you're going through. I see the light, you know, going out in you. And I'm so sorry. And I love you. And I want you to know that, you know, things are going to get better. And you're so beautiful and you're so wonderful. And so I just would 
talk to all these different ages of me, you know, things like that. And so then my friend was like, you should write all this down. And it, that ended up being my first book that that's, it's really tender, easy to read book. That's just full of those exercises of what I did. So I think that needs to be part of the recovery is just massive self-love and self-respect and growing that in yourself. And then also, you know, there can be a lot of health issues because in these relationships, your, our nervous system gets so dysregulated because we're dealing with constant stress without realizing it. So that needs to be addressed too. in a big way in worthy of love, I actually explain how to do that and exercises to do that. And they're all free and you can do them at home and they're simple and easy. But a big thing I've learned is just to slow down, to acknowledge you have experienced trauma over a long period of time and to slow everything down, to have such compassion and tenderness and understanding for yourself and absolutely zero judgment, zero judgment, because who you are is magnificent and beautiful And this road, if you chose, choose to go down this healing path, it can be incredibly transformative and you will come out a different person than you've ever been before. So that's the, the silver lining, I would say, of what's possible coming out of these. Oh, I love this. Debbie, this has been such a blessing. I'm so grateful for your wisdom and your time and your words. I know that listeners are going to want to grab this book, other books. So can you tell them where they can find the books, where they can find you online, like give them all that information? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My website is like where everything you'll find everything. It's debbiemerza.com. Oh, and I also recently created, which I love so much is a guided meditation called rewriting the false messages you got from narcissists. Wow. So it's a way of just like laying down, putting in earphones and just like, yeah, I, I, I went through, I researched my own messages and other people's messages. I asked the support group I was involved in for a while. So I took those and created this journey that you'll go through that will help you literally rewrite the messages that you got about yourself. So all that, the books and everything, online courses can be found on my, on my website. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time. And I hope that we get to have another conversation like this and take a deeper dive because I'm sure we're going to have all the questions, but this has been such a gift. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. 
Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.